Hey guys, Taylor here. Just want to give you a heads up for this long podcast that we do have time codes in the description down below. So if you want to jump around, please be my guest. This is a very long podcast today and we had to separate it into two separate episodes. So please come back Wednesday for to see our power rankings in the Star Wars films and our thoughts on Star Wars Month. Now please enjoy our conclusion of Star Wars Month with Solo, a Star Wars story. Gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Script Show, where we're talking about your favorite movies, what was good, what was bad, and how we can improve on things. We don't just talk about the problems, we give solutions to the problems. More like solutions. Oh! oh. Uh, and so, today, I am, I would say he's my Chewbacca, my uh, main guy, you know, eternal debts paid on both sides. We got our solid doctor. I gave him my kidney, you know? Wait, what? Yeah. Is that why I have three? Yeah. Oh, no. Hey, you can never have too many kidneys, right? <laughs> you can, yes. Uh, I, I don't believe that. <laughs> I'm here today with Dr. Sam. Hey, you know, I, you know, said I was the chewy tier, Han, but I feel like I'm more the Val tier, Beckett. Uh, uh, you know, using characters from, from this movie that I'm sure you have very, thoughts on. It's very short-lived, is what you're saying? Or? <laughs> it's very... I, please, I uh, I wasn't well thought out. I'm sorry. I was trying to make a reference, and it did not work out well. No, it's but, all right. But uh, in case my joke and uh, my reference doesn't didn't clue you in or the title of the podcast you clicked on, we're watching Solo, a Star Wars story today. And boy, oh boy, uh, should we talk about the movie or just our overall thoughts on Star Wars Month thus far? Let's talk about Star Wars Month right now and how, you know, we're ending it on a high note? We're ending it on uh, a note. And it's <laughs> because that the week that this is being put out is the week that Solo was released. So it was the perfect time to, well, at least on home video. So it's like a perfect time to go in and talk about it. And uh, my thoughts on Star Wars Month as a whole, it was fun. I've enjoyed uh, doing this, revisiting some uh, classics, uh, some George Lucas classics. And actually, this is the first movie, uh, Solo is the first movie that George Lucas didn't like have as much of a direct hand in. This is kind of his real first foray in stepping back, besides like Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Well, and Force Awakens, well, too. Those two, he but- had a little bit of control because like, he had the outlines for those movies ish mm. planned out and those were given to Lucasfilm at the time but it was really Rogue One that was done by the uh, the VFX designer and this one was just a complete original creation by the Kasdan uh, family poor guys poor guys <laughs> poor guys they're the ones who wrote this this is it's their fault well I just feel bad because like Lawrence Kasdan he you know was the OG helped write all the original scripts and stuff and he had nothing to do with the prequel so he was like untouched yes and then Force Awakens came out, and that was still good and everything, but, you know, it rehashed some things, but it was like, oh, okay, and now this came out, and for me, it's just like, oof. All right, so I guess we're here. Uh, what does oof mean to you? I feel like they sort of whiffed on what they had created. I don't think they completely thought out a lot of these things, mm-hmm. and we will get to it. Also, at the end, when we're, I'll say after we're done surgery, Lauren Kasdan's son, do you know his name? Jake. Jake Kasdan actually came to one of my classes back really? when, yeah, back uh, when we were in school, and I have some stories about him. Stories about Jake? All right, that'd be super exciting to hear. I'll, listen, I can tell stories about celebrities who came to my classes, too. <laughs> uh, 
We already teased it now, so we have to talk about it. I wasn't it. Jake Kasdan, sorry. Jake Kasdan directed a different thing. There are too many Kasdan siblings. Jonathan Kasdan. Jonathan Kasdan. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, he seems like a cool guy, but it, it's not nothing more I really have to say about him. It's more about what he had to say about the state of Star Wars. Because when he came into our class, Force Awakens was coming out in like two weeks. And um, we'll talk about it. We'll yeah. talk about it. So wait, so did you, was it Jake Kasdan or Jonathan Kasdan? It was Jonathan Kasdan. Okay. Cool. It was his uh, son that co-wrote it, this. Cool. And he's directed a few things. He's a cool guy. Yeah, but, um, sounds nice. I just uh, did not... Uh, so well, my th- I I don't mind this movie. I think it's fine. I think it's just very plain and fine. There's nothing more to it than uh, it's okay, which is disappointing, but it is what it is. For me, it's just like I've had to debate so many people over Star Wars for the past couple of years now because you know we like Last Jedi and everything, and I know that's a hot topic thing, but I'm just like tired of defending this series now and we'll we'll get more into it after we do the recap and surgery but i got some opinions of things we got some thoughts well if we got some big thoughts should we just dive right in yep let's just dive on in let's get our lucky dice and talk about this thing all right let's oh and we open on the classic a long time ago in a galaxy far far away but it keeps going (laughs) the titles keep going where we're on a, on, it says that we're on a planet called uh, Corellia, uh, where orphan children have to fight and steal to survive. And uh, there's only so many things that you can do. You can go to crime, and you can steal money. Or the other valuable resource is fuel. Fuel. Uh, hyperfuel, specifically. Classic. So we are introduced to our main guy, Han Solo. Or no, he's just Han right now. No last name. And so he's just trying to start this one car and get out of there. And he successfully does it, gets out of there, and he eventually goes into his friend, girlfriend at this point. Yeah, they're together. He goes out to this, like, homeless people hideout, and he sees his his girlfriend, Kira. They, like, make out, and then we're just quickly introduced to, I found a way to get out of here. Quickly, we need to go right now. Try to escape. But they are uh, caught by uh, these. He's yeah, they're apprehended by these henchmen, and they bring them down to this one, like lake snake swamp. woman. Yeah, snake woman, and it's yeah. really dark. Han and them have like a quick back and forth about how like she's like, Kira, don't fall for Han. He, we saved you when you were a kid. Do you remember that? And I'm like, wow, really good little exposition dump there. <laughs> we're four minutes in and already we're trying to explain everything. Yep. And then they're like, Han Solo has never been, or sorry, Han has never been a good kid. He's always running around doing this. And so then Han's like, hey, wait, don't do anything. I have this grenade. And he goes like, and I just activate it. He goes, and then the woman's like, that's a rock. That's not a grenade. And he's like, no, it's a grenade. And she's like, no, it's not. And then Sakira's like, is this really your plan? And he's like, no. But he throws the rock and opens up this. Uh, he smashes a window, lets in a bunch of light. And then she, the snake woman's like, ah. And they run out and they have this whole chase scene. And we get this good establishing shot of the lucky dice. That's right. The lucky dice that are just on the, on the, on the windshield or like the rearview mirror. Because spaceships have rearview mirrors. Uh, <laughs> And they chase, and they're followed by the Snake Woman's henchmen, and then they're quickly followed also by a stormtrooper on a bike, who they immediately lose, so just an extra body to throw away. 
and they escape and they get to like this little checkpoint area where it's going to be where they fly away to uh, I forget where they said they were going to fly to basically just out of the town or like out of this uh, yeah. planet because they are like well there's nothing here for us and blah 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 yeah, so they have like a uh, this thing called coaxium, like a whole, like a thing that, and that's the thing that like makes uh, hyperfuel. And they're in line to escape. Uh, they're trying to hide from the authorities, and they talk to the, the like flight teller and say, "We don't have our passports, but here's this coaxium. Uh, this is worth 800 units." And they give it to her, and she's like, "All right, go through." But as they're passing through the doorway, they get separated. The door closes, and Han is on one side, Kira's on the other, and she's kidnapped by these stormtroopers. And she's like, go, get out of here, run away. And so now Han is, like, hiding a little bit from the Imperial uh, stormtroopers, and he ends up going up to this one guy who's, like, recruiting, or, like, the guy who's recruiting. He sees, like, an advertisement yeah. for, like, the for joining the Imperial Guard, and he walks up, and he's like, I want to be a pilot. And, like, okay, well, you got to do a few other things first. I want to be a pilot. It's like, fine. Uh, what's your name? He's like, my name's Han. And he's like, last name? Doesn't say anything. He's like, who are your people? And he's like, I don't have any people. The guy just looks at him for a second and says, Han. Solo. So that's how Han got his name. Uh, it's because he was by himself. I freaking hate that. That is so dumb. This is only the start <laughs> of what I really hate about this. Because also, I saw this on like the internet and how someone pointed this out, being like, "So Han made Leia change her last name from like this very pristine mm-hmm. palace, well-respected family to Leia Solo instead of you know." She's still Organa. Yeah, but isn't it Leia Organa Solo? I they they always call her General Organa. I mean, well, is that because they divorced? Uh, I don't think they got... They, they never officially say they got divorced. I don't know. I don't know what the canon is. Okay. But I do know they call her General Organa. If, if she did change her name, she changed her name to just some random thing an Imperial recruitment officer gave her. Okay, but also Kylo Ren's real name is Ben yes. Solo. Han definitely was like, no, he needs my last name. Well, I mean, he, he at some point he just decided to stick with the name and that became his thing. So I, I don't blame him for that reason. It's just when you think about it more, it's like, Han, you couldn't have just been like, this is not my real name, and just been fine with it. But that's, it is what it is. This is, I'm just going to make my evidence right now on how they didn't really think this all out. We cut to three years later, and Han's in a battle of war. Of war! War! (laughs) And he shoots some people, some people die, and he bumps into Woody Harrelson, also known as Beckett. And his crew of mischiefs with, uh, we got Val. Uh, we got or, Val, who's played by Tandy Newton, yes. a.k.a. Maeve again. Yes, I can't believe Maeve. she's a regular fixture on this show now, I too. know. That's so, she, I think she is, like, one of the first reoccurring people we've talked about. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Uh, good, good, good to see you again, Tandy Newton, who will now be known as Val. Yep. Yeah, she's a quick high and bye in this, but, you know, another thing we'll get to. Yep. There's a, like, a four-armed alien, but we, we don't see him right away. Voiced by John Favreau, director of Iron Man. I did not know that. You didn't know that? Fun fact. Yeah. You know a lot of these fun facts with voice actors. I, I, it's one of those things where I could tell, and I thought it was, uh, I thought it was, you know, J.J. Abrams' friend, Greg Grunberg, that's, like, always in all of his stuff, because in Force Awakens, he played, like, a pilot. I thought that was him at first, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's interesting that he played two different characters in Star Wars, but no, it's John Favreau. 
Good for John, man. Which also fun fact: John Favreau is making the uh, the straight to Disney streaming service Star Wars TV show. Oh, it's probably all about his character. Probably. From this movie. I hope so. <laughs> Han sort of confronts the crew, being like, "Hey, I know you guys are not actually like soldiers of the Empire. If you don't let me help you, then I'm going to." tell on you mm-hmm. and then Woody Harrelson or just, I'll just tell him I'll say Beckett from now on Beckett's like oh hey other soldiers here uh, I have a higher ranking uniform and this guy's trying to defect so F this guy throw him away and then Han's like oh whoa whoa and yeah he just got duped yep. and so they throw Han with the was it monster to the beast to the beast and they throw him in and he's like covered in mud now and we hear like this dun 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 and we look up, and who is it? Luke Skywalker. Yeah, it's Luke Skywalker. No, it's Chewbacca. <laughs> Chewbacca's in the pit with him, and he's the beast. And they're like, he hasn't been fed in three days. I hope he stands a chance. This this scene, I know for a fact, lasts so short. Because that's the that's one of the things that bothered me about this. Uh-huh. Is that he gets tossed into the cage, and he and Chewie have like a really short fight. Which is, you know, kind of cool, where he's like trying to outsmart him. He before uh, Han Han Solo or just Han because Solo's now a stupid name. <laughs> Han's like, wait, wait, we can we can get out of here if we work together. But he says it in like broken Wookie, which I think is funny. Okay, yes, it's funny. It was like, oh, that's a thing, but that's something that wasn't like introduced in the prequels or anything. Like we never hear Han talk about him in Chewie in a uh, Wookie. And then for the rest of the movie, he's still talking to him in English, you know? So what's... Well, I, the way that I look at that is that speaking in Wookiee was a, a show of good faith. Okay. To be like, listen, I get you. I'm sorry for all this. That's like, that's, you know, his, his peace offering to be like, we're, we're not so different, you and I. And then, especially because they speak English and Wookiee back to each other. Like, he just understands him for the rest of the movie, basically. And then for all the sequel movies, he or like the original trilogy, they understand each other. Because they've been working together for like what 15 years now yeah i just feel like it's a bit lazy like it's i don't disagree yeah because <laughs> i know some people get mad about like r2d2 like oh he has all this updated technology in the prequels but then he never uses it in the sequels mm-hmm. or in the original one i'm like that's fair that didn't bother me as much as this because it's more of a like they're trying to it's, bond you know mm-hmm. and it's like a very lazy bond and then they never bring it up well, again. Yeah, because the because I ch- I checked it because I was like this is weird because I like when I was doing it my like skipped ahead a little bit by accident and then uh-huh. went back. That se- sequence when they when he gets tossed in the pit to when he's out like they're out and they're flagging down Beckett's ship mm-hmm. is three minutes, and that's not from when he gets into when he gets out. That's when they're flagging down the ship is three minutes from when he gets from, thrown in. Yeah, when he gets thrown in to when they're flagging down the ship. It's three minutes. That's so... For a lifelong friendship and, like, the thing that kind of is the crux of, like, Han Solo's, like, personality besides being a cool smuggler is Chewbacca. hmm Their bonding takes three minutes. Ugh, yeah. It's but not... Yeah. It's not good. So... They become friends. They escape the, the hatch. And then they wave down Beckett's ship as he's escaping. And Val's like, don't you pick them up? And then Jon Favreau's like... You should pick them up. He's like, I don't care what you think. This kid is growing on me. <laughs> and then I'm like, what has he done? You, if, how, what? Yeah, they, they didn't show him, like, appreciating Moxie before, like, any of that stuff. He just is like, sure, why not? Especially because he goes against what his, what his wife wants and just goes with, like, his pilot friend. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
I just like, what has he done? Because that's another thing I'm going to come back to when we're talking about this. Everyone's like loving Solo. Like, wow, that was so impressive. Like, whoa, that was so unique. And I'm like, it really wasn't. He just what? did things that most people, well, not most people, but a lot of people would probably think to do. Mm-hmm. So he's not like special. He's just smart. He's just like, oh, yeah, I need to get out of this situation. Or I'm going to die. Yep. Good job. It's not like you did a black flip into three <laughs> Imperial guards and took them down with left and right and then threw a lightsaber. Like, yeah. But basically, Beckett's like, I like these guys. They can join us for this big heist. And it's not just one big heist. It's the last heist. Yeah, the last heist. Man, doesn't that always work out so well? Yeah, dude. I love seeing people's last heists for, like, the fifth time. Yep. And so they get in, Han and Chewie wash off and then, like, start talking together. And then Han's like, so what's your name? And then Chewbacca is like, Chewbacca. Chewbacca. (laughs) Han's like, oh, your name's Chewbacca? Man, that's too long to say. I need to think of a nickname for you. Which, yeah, it's not good writing. They could have easily just been like, Chewbacca? Chewie it is then. You settle it there. You don't have to have wordy things like that. Yeah, exactly. He's like, it could have been a joke. But you, like, allude to it. It's sort of like in the Fantastic Four stick when they're like, hey, what should our name be? And he's like, oh, I don't know. This facility is just fantastic. And he's like, what did you say? I said fantastic. He's like, I think I just thought of our name, guys. And it's like, yikes. Yikes, indeed. Just like my name is Solo, a Star Wars story. (laughs) So they land and they... Uh, start a fire and everything and they're outside just talking about I like to call this the requisite get to know them before they die scene mm-hmm. because if you're familiar with uh, uh, heist movies or the show The Walking Dead you always get to know characters really well right before they die because they're like oh no we need to have some emotional investment before we just completely annihilate them it's one thing to do it like you know as, as a show and to be like okay but it's one thing to do it so transparently where they're clearly just talking to each other about hopes and dreams and what they're going to do when they get out of there. It's like, oh, you know, you two lovebirds are so crazy. <laughs> of course. Of course you're going to kill these people. Uh, sorry, spoilers for the next for five minutes later in this movie. Woody Harrelson, Beckett, gives Han Solo his blaster. Whoa. Okay. Again, so the thing that I think you have alluded to is that there's so many winks and nods that don't need to be winks and nods. Yeah. Like, it doesn't need to be like, oh, this has special attachment because my traitorous mentor gave me a blaster. It's just, you just pick, you just have a blaster. I'll go to a little quick little surgery. What I want to do is, like, have Han really like this blaster and being like, oh, I like this blaster, and then say, like, Lando breaks it or something. He's like, damn it. And then he goes and finds another blaster. He's like, oh, I like this blaster. It's still stupid, but at least it's, like, it's different in a way. It's not like when Logan in Wolverine Origins gets his jacket and he's like, oh, I like this jacket. We'll talk about this later. Yeah. And so then the next day they're starting to do the big heist on this train. Yeah. Well, it's because the forearm guy is flying the ship that they're going to use to attach the cargo to. Val is standing by, like, the sensor where she's going to, like, deactivate it so that they won't be noticed by the Imperial Guards. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Chewie, Han, and Beckett are climbing aboard the train to actually steal the uh, the coaxium. And so it's going good so far. They get everything. Then the stormtroopers notice and start blasting at them. And so there's firing, shooting back and forth. And they end up detaching and letting those stormtroopers leave. And so they think, oh, we did it, guys. We did it. But then these 
what would you say, smuggler, bounty hunter yeah, guys? I would say these other thieves, like a, a rival gang of thieves shows up. And that's basically what they do is that whenever Beckett has a job, they always show up halfway through so that he does all the hard work and then they collect the reward. I actually love this one point where Beckett, you can clearly tell this is a reshoot, but Woody Harrelson's line reading where, because they're all fucking like pissed that this happened again. And Maeve is, like, giving him shit. Not Maeve, sorry, Val. Val. <laughs> it's, it's hard to break habit. And Woody Harrelson's just like, damn it, never going to hear the end of this one. And that's literally, like, how he reads. It's not like, damn it, I'm never going to hear the end of this one. Like, you can just tell at that specific scene that Woody Harrelson is done doing this movie. He checked out a, a little ways before. Yeah. Yeah. So then they start shooting around, and they end up, one of them, of the smugglers gets onto the ship with forearm alien guy and shoots him. And now he's like dying a little and Han runs up to go get him, saves the ship. And the guy's saying something like, Hey kid, like you're, you're really good. Something like that. And then he dies. And I'll give, I'll give it a little bit. This movie, I did find the alien dying a little heartbreaking just because well, it was cause, so natural. Yeah, it was natural. And it was like, cause Han's the one who goes up there and it's like kind of like pilot to pilot. Cause that's what, like what Han wants to do is he wants to be the pilot. So he's like, you got to take over the ship now. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a nice thing. And the, that alien's name is Rio Durant. Rio Durant. Yes. So uh, pour one out for Rio. Yep. But catch his solo movie yeah. on the Netflix, or sorry, uh, <laughs> Disney stream service. Exactly. Uh, and the, the group of uh, smugglers is led by Enfys Nest. Uh, oh, okay. Yes. I, just because I want to get the names all, all out there so that we, we cover our bases. <laughs> so, yeah. So the group led by Enfys Nest is uh, attacking... And but at at some point they're able to uh, disconnect like the car the cargo load that has the uh, the coaxium on it and uh, like attach it to the ship itself. Maeve is realizing Val is realizing <laughs> that this whole plan's going awry and the only way to save Beckett is to sacrifice herself because the other droid the other Imperial droids are coming around and she's like I'm sorry Beckett it was like a fun ride and then Beckett's like no Val kills herself. The bounty hunter crew and Solo's crew holding onto this coaxium, and they're flying around. Han is just like, we need to let, let it go, and Woody Harrelson's like, no, and they let it go. It, like, falls down, explodes everywhere, and then so Han, Chewbacca, and Beckett get down and just start sort of arguing to each other. Well, they, like, have, you know, bury Val, or, like, have, like, a memorial for Val and mm-hmm. for Rio. Like, Beckett's probably... Uh, appropriately pissed that his his team is dead. Uh, now he has to just deal with this these young guys who just showed up. I you know thinks that it, they didn't have to release the coaxium. Could have could have escaped with it, but probably not. They they agree that like no they they can work things out. Uh, there's another way around it, and that they'll they'll work together as a team to 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 figure it out. Yes, and so they all decide they need to go to... The person that hired uh, Beckett in the first place to steal the coaxium. Yes, that they need to go talk to Dragon Voss, I believe his uh, name is. Dryden. Dryden Voss. Ah, Dragon would have been so Dragon much better. Dragon Voss would have been better. But <laughs> no, so uh, Dryden Voss's ship finds them, and they climb aboard. Beckett just tells Han, because there's like this big like party like banquet room where everyone's just hanging out, having a great time, and Beckett's like, don't talk to anybody. Just keep your head down, and I'll talk to Dryden. And Han's like, of course I will. And he keeps his head down, and Chewbacca goes to... Chewbacca goes to get shot. <laughs> Chewbacca's the real, the real hero in this story. I'm a fan. Me uh, too. And uh, Han's just looking out the window, and all of a sudden, who shows up? 
Kira, his girlfriend. Oh, snap. They're like, oh, my God, I've missed you so much. What's what's happening? She's like, oh, I work here. Don't worry about it. What are you doing here? He's like, I've got business here. You know, if, if people were more invested in this relationship, that would actually be a very nice uh, reunion scene. Yep, but it's not. And so... It's one of those things where Han's definitely like, oh, I was about to go save you and, like, oh, there's one more deal and stuff. And I'm sure Kira's like, yeah, man, it's been, like, three years, so. <laughs> Why know, would I still be at that same place? Come on. Yeah, and even, like, people have talked that to Han, too, about being like, why do you think she's still there? And he's like, I just got a gut feeling. Here's what I think happened is that she actually was still there in a previous script. Mm. But because all the scripts got, like, fumbled together, they didn't, they didn't uh, abandon his first act uh, desire or like goal, and then when she shows up on this ship working for uh, for Dryden Voss, he's just like, "Oh, I was going to come back for you. Don't worry about that anymore." <laughs> like, it's, then he's kind of ha- then he has this whole like he doesn't really have even have a goal at that point after that. Yeah, because we're going to get into like what he does later, but basically he's just part of the team, which is cool. But now he doesn't have a reason to be part of the team anymore if Kira's already here. That is very true. That is very true. His whole his whole purpose was to get the money so he could buy a ship and go rescue Kira. She's here, and his he doesn't really have a goal anymore. But that's fine. He's he's part of the team uh, by a, a association. So they talk a little bit and you know reminisce about old times. And she's like, "Did you ever get that ship?" And he's like, "No, but I'm part of a crew." Chewbacca shows up and is like, "Hey, this is Chewbacca. This is Kira." Then Beckett shows up and is like, "I told you not to talk to anybody." And Kira's like, "Hi, Beckett." And so then uh, they go up and meet Dryden and Boss. And so they have, like, this little back and forth being like, oh, like, you don't have the fuel for me. And they're about to, like, shoot all the people. And then Han's like, no, no, we can go get the unfiltered fuel and we'll do that that way. And then Voss is like, okay, yeah, just make sure you don't, like, say my name in this because I do business with them. And they're like, okay. Yeah, well, because they're they're not going to just go get the unrefined coaxium they have to steal it Mm -hmm. and kira like helps them arrange the deal and stuff and she's like i'm gonna go with them so she does and so now they're trying to figure out like what's a pilot that we know that has a really nice ship that we can do the way that the line reading is is like all right we're gonna need a pilot and we're gonna need a fast ship and then kira's like i think i know the guy and then she just starts talking about this guy for like honestly like maybe a solid minute, like, yeah, he's so handsome, so strong, and, like, he's got the powers of no one else I've ever met, and, like, just goes on and mm. on about him, and so they end up going into this one, like, barish area, and she then just finishes talking about how great this guy is, and then Asa- even Solo says something like, all right, all right. I get it. <laughs> and that person is... Luke Skywalker. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's Lando Calrissian. What? No way. Played in this version, probably the best character and actor in the movie, uh, Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. I would say definitely best, definitely best actor. I don't know best character. Ooh, I want to hear your hot take on who the best character is, but we'll we can get to that. Uh, I don't know if anyone's the best character. There has to be a best. I'm sure it's Lando. No, it's Darth Maul. <laughs> He's the best. Spoilers for the end of the movie, jeez. So yeah, so Han shows up, and we do the most cliche, overdone thing in any heist movie. Han bets his sh- bets all of what well, he's got and his ship against everything Lando's got and his ship. 
because they play poker for a little while. It's like, uh, of course, the gangster movie has a poker game. But it's not poker, really. It's like this space poker where we don't completely understand what's going on. And there's nothing in the scene to be like, oh, this is really intense. Like, I wonder how it's going to end out. I mean, I think they knew at that point that we knew how it was going to go. They just put that scene in there. But then it just drags on too long. It's honestly like too long to do. Well, it's good for like a first interaction between Han and Lando. Like, I don't mind. Again, if this was a regular just space heist movie, that would be a fun introduction. But because we kind of already know the characters, we don't. It's annoying a little bit because I I like their interaction where he's like, uh, I've heard stories about you, and he's like, everything you've heard about me is true, Han. <laughs> Which is fun because in the in Empire Strikes Back, Billy D. Williams couldn't say Han. He only called him Han. So they had to explain that in this movie that he's just making fun of him. Oh, okay. That's fun. I just think we can have a better interaction with the two. Yeah. Because let's let's say another movie, like Crazy Rich Asian. You know how in that movie, the Rachel and the mother-in-law are playing backgammon? I don't. I haven't seen Crazy Rich Asian. Okay, so there's this one scene <laughs> where the two women are playing backgammon, and it's really intense because of what's going on, and we don't really care what's happening in the game, but what's being talked about is what we're really paying attention to. And I feel like that's what they should have done with this because I don't know what's going on in this game. Mm-hmm. I know they're going to get the Falcon. Like, why am I watching this? You know? It's so it would have been better to see their interaction to see how their relationship builds instead of being like, here's the game. Yeah, exactly. Because there could be another way that I think we can do this somehow. Well, and the worst part is that it amounts to nothing mm-hmm. because at the very end of the game, uh, Han loses and Lando's like, all right, where's my ship? And then Kira shows up and is like, hi, Lando. And he's like, ah, Kira, it's good to see you. And she's like, actually, we don't want to give you the ship. We, ha- we want to use you for a job. And then he's like, oh, of course. Yeah. And so the whole the game didn't mean anything. Kira could have just shown up and said, I want to give you a job. Here's 20%. And I get it in, like, the lore, like, you know, legends right now. That's how... That's how Han originally wins the Falcon, is like, you know, Mm -hmm. outbesting Lando in a game of cards where they knew Lando was cheating. And that's how, in the end of the movie, that's why it's it's there. All right, guys? But it's such a lazy way to do it. Yep. No, it's it's bad. Yes, like Sam said, agrees to do the heist, and we hear, like, this robot in the other room talking. I, I changed my mind. This is my favorite character. I like L3, oh. and I, I can't wait to see this debate. So in the corner, we hear this, like, robot cockfight going on, <laughs> where, like, these robots are just, like, attacking each other, and then this far-left extremist robot being like, you need to have free will! Get out of there, robot! We need to... <laughs> robots were not meant to fight, we have consciousness. Robot lives matter, is what she's saying. Here's the thing with... And I'll bring this back also in a bit later. Okay, so, if the robot, robots don't have conscious, there's nothing happening. It's just, like, metal fighting metal, mm-hmm. right? So, it's like, all right, we're not fighting for this at all. And if the robots do have consciousness, then they are making a decision to do this, right? No, they're not. The robots are being forced to do it. They're all slaves. That's the whole point of this, is that the robots are slaves. Uh, That's the whole, the whole point of, like, L3's character is being, like, we were created and given consciousness, and now we're being forced to do your bidding. It's interesting that Maeve from Westworld is in the movie about robot with a subplot about robots having consciousness, which is the thing that I like about it is that it totally, 
it's a thing that people have talked about, like, as a Star Wars thing. It's like, wait a minute. Like, R2-D2 and C-3PO have personalities and, like, life, but they're forced to work for these people. Like, they gave them life and consciousness and they have feelings, but then they're just slaves to the machine. Like, do they even want to be doing this? It's 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 one of the things where I thought it was a fun, clever nod to to like the Star Wars lore and canon, and made it part of the actual story. I don't. I mean, what are the robots really fighting? Like, are they making money? Yeah, they're, or they're, they're, they're they're cockfighting. They're fighting so that one side has a robot, the other side has a robot, and they bet on the robots. So whoever, whichever side wins, gets the money. But how does that make any sense? If you could use a robot that you can control with a remote, why would you? fight a robot that has like consciousness in the rink when you could use one that has a remote like the other one could help you out with other things that doesn't include fighting but okay so i still want to keep this like we all know that she's like very into robots not being slaves yes. right okay put a pin in okay, that okay put into that so uh, l3 is uh, lando's robot like his robot uh, co-pilot and so lando grabs l3 and they all walk to the Millennium Falcon, mm-hmm. and they board the Falcon and fly off. But one of Enfys Nest's goons has put a tracking device on the bottom of the Falcon, which is a part that I don't like, because once they've done that, it's like, quote-unquote, foreshadowing. It's not. It's annoying because we know now that they've done that, and we're not going to see these characters for, like, an hour of the movie. Everything they're doing is kind of going to be for nothing because, of course, these Enfys Nest people are going to steal the coaxium. So why does it matter that they're going to go do that? Because we just know that it's going to end up poorly for them. That's my story structural problem. So they're on the ship flying to... uh, They're flying to the planet Kessel. Mm -hmm. Remember the Kessel, everybody? Anyone familiar with the Kessel? Remember? Remember Remember Kessel? Kessel? So they're on the ship and they have a few cute scenes where it's Kira and L3 talking about, you know going to Kessel and talking about the men in their lives, which this movie almost passed the Bechdel test, but not quite. If anyone's not familiar with the Bechdel test, that's where uh, female characters don't talk about men. You have at least two of them, and they actually have a genuine interaction together. And then almost passes it with L3 and Kira. They talk about normal stuff for a second, and then they get to, so how do you feel about Han? You know, Lando's in love with me. Well... Yes, yeah, so before that, Kira and Han, like, make out and stuff, yeah. and it's like, oh, whoa, they're together. And then they have this little talk about, so what do you think of Han? And Kira's just like, we're just friends. L3 is like, no, you're not. He's in love with you. And she's like, no, he isn't. And I'm like, this hasn't been a secret. Of course he's in love with yeah. you. He's, he's told Beckett in the first, like, real heart-to-heart they've had that he wanted to get this girl out of poverty you know, save her. I mean, yeah, they were together for so long, like, even if it was three years later, like, of course. But then at the same time, Beckett has a talk with uh, Han about not trusting, not trusting Kira because she works for Dryden Voss. And Beckett just says, you know, what all people, all gangsters say is like, I don't trust anybody <laughs> except myself. I hope you trust yourself. What, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't trust anybody. I look in the mirror and say, you could be lying to me. <laughs> As I did that, I looked to the mirror to yeah. the right of me. So in case people on the podcast can't see what I'm doing. I also, I don't usually like fan service unless it's being used for a actual like reason. And at this point, when they're talking to Beckett, Chewie and Beckett are playing the space chess. <laughs> and, you know, it's a little lazy, but Beckett's like, hey, you need to think about what your opponent's going to do next. And I'm like, all right, well, that's setting up your character. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you know, good job. You, you used it, and you used it right. I mean, 
very deliberately and specifically, and we can tell what it is a mile away, but at least they did that. Yes. So they get to Kessel. Kira comes out and it has Chewie and Han in chains with Beckett kind of like in a guard uniform. Which is that the same guard uniform that Lando wears in Return of the Jedi? Yep. And again, good use of fan service because <laughs> yeah, it they, makes sense. It's been established that they use this costume to sneak around and be sneaky. Yeah, and they and it's not like over like it's not in your face about it. He just steps out and he's wearing it. And it's yeah. Fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Kira basically comes by and says, "We found these people. Take them and let them be your slaves." And then L three gets up. And it's like, come with us, slaves. You'll be uh, clipped and marked. And then Han goes, clipped of what? And then L3 just walks away, which <laughs> I think is funny. The So they go into the coaxium refinery. Chewie and Han are taken kind of to like the slaves' quarters where Chewie sees other Wookiees being tortured. Mm-hmm. Get to that later. Yep. Then Kira goes and tries to negotiate with the coaxium refinery, or like at least goes into a room like to to talk with them. And Beckett stands outside the room, and basically like all hell basically breaks loose when Kira fights the uh, the, like, what the would key I call master yeah, the, the, guy, the person in charge. She she kills him, takes him down, and then they all go back out. And L three unplugs like one of the. <laughs> Mind controlling yeah. robot things. Well, yeah, because uh, all the all the droids in because there's a lot of droids in this facility, and all of them are like doing their specific job. And L three needs to like get to the get to the console, and she just like unplugs the droid and like pulls him away, and is like, "All right, you're free now. You don't have to do this job anymore." But she doesn't say it like that. She's I like, "I don't know, get out of the way." And then the droid's like, "Beep beep boom." She's like, "I don't know, start a revolution or something." Like she's actually annoyed. Like she gives sass to the get woman. Well, yeah, she, she, she has she has like a job to do. Like she's like going to do something, and I, I feel like it's just it, it would be in her character to be like to go offhand and just say, "I don't know, free your brothers and sisters, just do something." I it, feel it, like she should be more pumped about it and not being like, "Get out of the fucking way, like you slave." Like, she, I, yeah, I, I I see it differently, but I I do get that. If she is that way, then I it would be a problem. But I I think she's just there to do her job, and she's just trying to like. She's just trying to do her best. She just throws, like, a hissy fit about it is mm-hmm. the thing where I'm like, okay, <laughs> you are saving a slave. You are unchaining him right now. Mm-hmm. And you're like, get the fuck out of my way. I don't know. Go for your other brothers and sisters. It's not my problem. That's what I was saying okay. when we put a pin in it. That's right. what bothered me about her a lot. All right. Well, at this point, L3 takes over the console, is able to get Han and Chewie out of their chains. They run, and they're going to go to the coaxium. But then Chewie sees the the Wookiees being tortured, and Han's like, all right, no, go do your thing. You take care of them. I'll see you later, Chewie. Basically, is their, like, goodbye. So I'm sorry Chewbacca's never coming back into the story. Yep, that's it. That's done. He's it. Which is another problem that I have that we can come back to later. All right, good Uh, to know. Lots of things to come back to. So so Han goes and gets the coaxium. Well, he goes, there's one guard left, and, like, Han's wearing all the same gear as the other guy, and he starts, like, speaking the one language that this guy speaks, and he's like, oh, what? And then Han just kicks him in the crotch, and then he goes in, and then Beckett's like, wow, that was really impressive. Was it? Was it that impressive? He kicked a dude in the crotch. Well, yeah, because he says it like, that was genuinely impressive. And then Kira's like, yeah, it really was. It's like, it's it's not. I, I get the joke, but it's just, it was, it, it makes more sense if it was impressive. Yeah, again, he's not doing a backflip shooting two guys and throwing a lightsaber around. Because I think they might also be referring to the fact that he knew the language, too. But like. Oh, I thought he was just speaking gibberish. Uh, I don't know. So, so basically, Han goes after he kicks the guard the nuts. He gets the coaxium. 
puts it on like a big tray or whatever and he's like struggling to pull it with him he's like oh no I can't do it and these guards show up and he's like I can't do it and Beckett's like improvise and Han's like you told me never to improvise but luckily he doesn't have to improvise because Chewie shows up I can't believe he came back and beats up all the guards and it's like Chewie I thought you were going to leave me he's like no and then they push the coaxium out to the uh, out to the to the falcon but in 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 the middle of all this that robot that L3 actually freed does start freeing the other robots and they do like an actual robot uprising <laughs> which i liked i liked that a lot I would have if it wasn't just undercut by L3 being like, fuck off, just do whatever the fuck you want. I really don't have that much of a problem with it, but that's... I feel like if you're trying to set up her character, because there is actually very limited time we get to spend with her, Mm -hmm. and when she sort of, like, contradicts herself like that... Well, I don't think she contradicts. I really think it is just doing the job, and, like, her first offhand comment, like, is like, well, obviously you should need to go for your brothers and sisters. Like, I don't think it's, like, a a mean thing where it's, like, you're a stupid droid. It's, like... I've got something to do. Please go, like, start a robot uprising, okay? The uprising started. Han and Chewie reunited. They escape with the coaxium, uh, and they go to the Millennium Falcon and start unloading all the coaxium onto the ship. Kira and Beckett start help them unload, and L3 is like, I started a revolution! Woo! But as this victory is short-lived for her because (laughs) she gets uh, destroyed out on the field, just completely shot at, and Lando sees this and is like, L3! And runs out and just takes his robot girlfriend in his arms and runs back onto the Falcon. Yeah, and, I mean, they'd make a huge point about this being like, oh my god, look, she's dead and stuff. Like, Lando's so wrecked about it. But we haven't seen this relationship on screen, you know? It's one of those things where show me, don't tell me, because they've talked about her being in love or Lando being in love with her or whatever. And we never see it. And so I'm like, why do I care? No, it's, it's fair. We, we've seen the beginning of the relationship where it's like, you know, kind of their day to day stuff. And then we see the end of it where like Lando actually does care and is like so broken up about it, but we don't, we don't see the middle portion where we see him care and then he tries to hide it. And then she's like, okay, whatever. It's, it's, it's just one of those things. I don't care if Lando cares about this robot and everything. I just don't think we needed to really talk about it. You know, I think it could have been one of those things like, oh, if you look into the lore, he was really into her or like Mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, The Falcon flies off. L3's like like robot body dies and they start trying to escape. And but they're blocked by an Imperial blockade. They're getting off the Kessel and into what's called the Kessel Run. Mm, uh, haven't heard this one before. Hey, but then Han's like, "Don't worry, they're not going to waste a Tie Fighter on a rinky dink ship like this." And then they unload all of their Tie Fighters on this rinky dink ship. They're like, "We don't have any way of escaping." They decide they they can't do the normal route, so they have to go through the fog of the Kessel Run. It's like this straight road, or you can kind of take like a little shortcut. They upload L 3s brain into the Millennium Falcon. Which explains why the Falcon is a lot smarter and like has like a lot more information on it. Yeah, than other ships, I guess. And it's why people like uh, Lando and Han treat the Falcon a lot better because it's got like a living, breathing, <laughs> uh, not breathing, but like a living soul on it because of L three. And yeah, so then they take this route through the fog and they start losing all the Tie Fighters, and then they run into the f- Squid Monster. Oh, I thought it was Luke Skywalker they ran into. <laughs> Damn it! You had a great. I ruined the joke. I'm sorry. That's a that's, that was the rule of threes right there, my friends. 
And so I'll say when I first watched this movie and this monster popped up and it's like attacking them and everything, I was like, why do I care? Mm-hmm. I don't care about anyone on the ship. Go ahead, monster. Go eat up. He looks hungry. But the part is the worst part is that we know that it's not going to happen because we know all these characters are alive, or at least most of these characters are alive, that Falcon's fine Yeah. In the future movies. And that's just, that's a problem with prequels in general. Make, make, make them have stakes. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that later, but prequels in general, there are ways to do it and we... Well, there's one way to do it that we yeah. know, and uh, many ways not to do it. Yeah, but they're able to escape the, the squid monster. Yeah, and so, just in general, very weird pacing. We got the TIE fighter fight, and then immediately after this monster attack. Like, I feel like we could have just snipped this monster attack. Yeah. Besides having that one point where Han's like, Hey, Kira, remember that one time in the beginning when I turned our ship and then it got stuck? And she's like, yeah. He's like, I'm going to do that again. And she's well, like, listen to this. Yeah. If you had just cut out that three minutes or whatever, nothing's missed. Yeah. Besides like, oh, they used the fuel that one time. Well, because then they, because they're being pulled into like a gravitational like black hole after that. And they're just like, the only way out of this is to, like, dump the, dump, like, uh, a bunch of that raw coaxium and to, like, cause, like, an explosion. It's like, okay. okay. And they do it. Yep. Uh, and that is basically how the Falcon is able to get out of the Kessel Run in under 12 parsecs. Mm-hmm. But they say, you know, it was like 12 and a half, and it's like, we can round down. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's 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 the the rogue. You know how Rogue One is basically just a way of uh, explaining why the Death Star has this big hole in it that you can shoot a laser into. Mm-hmm. This is their ex- explanation for why Han Solo says that he could he did the Kessel Run in under twelve parsecs because a parsec is a unit of distance and not a unit of time. So if you're doing the Kessel Run, you would expect him to talk about time. He's saying that he did it because he took this shortcut and like they used the coaxium to like blast them farther. So that space was, like, condensed. So they actually made the Kessel Run in 12 units of, of space, of, of distance. That's pretty It's pretty very confusing. thin. It's a very thin, thin explanation, but that's how they did it. Okay. Good job, guys. And so now they land on this one planet and stuff. Yeah, it's the planet where they're going to uh, turn, the, like, the raw coaxium into, like, refined usable fuel. Yeah. They landed everything. They start making the fuel into, like, you know, a solid. And Lando's just looking at the Falcon being like, God fucking damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then he does another great joke is he just puts his arm around Lando and he sees the Falcon just being so destroyed. He's like, that's all right, buddy. And then Lando looks over at him and says, I hate you. And (laughs) Han says, I know. They're like, motherfuckers, that's fan service, and I loved it. Oh, God. Kira and Han have another little talk and everything. And this is where I really, I noticed this throughout the film, but it really bothered me in this. Alden Ehrreich, he's just smiling and smirking in every scene. And I think that's what he's coming off as, like, oh, I'm being charismatic, I'm smiling. And I'm like, ha, I'm showing my dimples off. I'm showing my dimples off. Yeah. It's just weird. And at times, he also looks very confused on what he's saying. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'll say it now, I don't think he was the best actor for this. No. And well, the reason they picked him is from a movie called Hail Caesar. Uh-huh. Did you see that? Uh, I've seen parts. Because he, he was the best part of Hail. Like, it was a Coen Brothers movie, and it wasn't really actually that good. Oh. But Alden Ehrenreich was the best part of it. Okay. So they so they saw this guy who, like, had, like, you know, so much charisma and, like, is this talented guy. And they're like, oh, he could totally play Han Solo because the Coen Brothers loved him. 
behind the scenes facts is he had to have like an acting coach with him the entire way through and like professional actors have acting coaches like mm. people who are like academy award winners still have coaches that like work them through cuz everybody needs a coach but he had like a 24/7 like on set like coach to like get him through the scenes so what did he do in hail caesar that was like oh okay this guy could do solo so it was weird cuz he he played a character that was an actor, and the actor had like was supposed to have a lot of charisma, or like not a lot of charisma, but like when he played character, he's an actor who's playing an actor. So that when his the characters that his actor played mm-hmm. had a lot of charisma, so he he played like kind of like an old like uh, '60s cowboy. Okay. So like you know how the cowboy characters of like John Wayne and that like whole ilk were like very charismatic and like all right there we can take care of everything, all of his all of. Alden Ehrenreich's characters' characters were like that. But okay. the character itself was a very shy, kind of like, uh, like not shy, but unassuming, like very nervous guy because he, he wanted to branch out into other types of acting and he wasn't good at it. Mm. And he had this like thick southern accent and he couldn't do like a, a proper voice. But he could do like cool things. Like he would like do little tricks with the rope and like he went on a date with a girl and like used the spaghetti as if it was like a lasso uh. and like did tricks like that. So he like had this kind of fake confidence. So okay. I think that's I think that's where Star Wars producers looked at him and thought, oh, he could probably do this. He looks a decent amount like Harrison Ford. So that's that's my theory. I don't have a good reason for it, but that's that's what I think. Okay. Um, so yeah, he's just smirking, using his dimples a lot, and he has a quick scene with Kira where they're trying to build some chemistry, but it's not there. It's almost like you're trying to build a chem- chemistry almost two hours into a movie. Yeah, and so. They get attacked, or sort of get surrounded by emphasis, and so Han goes up and he's like, hey, I got a bunch of men on this one ship right here, the Millennium Falcon. If I just snap my fingers, they're going to come attack. And then this is the point where Lando's like, nope, and takes off. Well, it's, a, it's almost, it's a perfect comedic shot where it's like, he's like, at the snap of my fingers, 20 men will come out and just hunt you down right away. And then just in the background, in a very distant shot, you just see the Millennium Falcon rise off the ground and just shoot off into space. And then they just turn back around and is uh, like, nope. Which, okay, it's funny, but why does Lando leave? Lando has nothing left to do here. No, he, he needs to get paid still. He's, if he saw those all those people like surrounding them, he's he knows they're not getting paid. The Enfys Nest like, and all their other men like are gonna take him down like he, he's got a ship he can just run them over lando has had way too much like has been through too much in the last like 12 hours he's got to think about his book he's talking about man <laughs> think about the sales I, I i do think you're right that if he you know use the use the falcon to just destroy these people or like do these other things yes but i i agree i think that in the state of mind that lando was in he would not want to deal with any of this shit anymore I feel like we're given a lot of passes to certain things. I Have you ever been in, like, a very, like, stressed, like, bad mood where it's, like, clearly the smart thing to do is to either, you know, talk things out or walk away, and instead you do the worst thing that you're supposed to do? N- no, especially after, like, my, you know, girlfriend sex robot died. <laughs> I'm sure he didn't use it for that reason. What the, what the what's he using it for? Emotional support? He was Alfred banging was his co-pilot. it. Wasn't the whole point he was banging no, it? No, it wasn't that he was banging it. L3 was his co-pilot, and they were, like, just 
like together. Like that, they were. They so were it was partners. emotional support. Yes, it was his emotional support. That's why he brought it on the plane with him. The Millennium Falcon. That's his emotional support robot. Oh man. Uh, so, so anyways, but okay. So he's that's like me working a twenty four hour day, mm-hmm. working really hard, and then at the end of it, like, oh shoot, my car's not working, or like uh, Siri died on me. And no, but <laughs> it's not a life or death thing. If it's like you working a twenty four hour day, like you're gonna get paid, like whatever. $10,000 if you just stick around and you, like, walk from your office to your boss's office. Uh-huh. But on the way to your boss's office, a bunch of gangsters are surrounding the office, like, ready to shoot your boss. Are you going to go into your boss's room and confront that person, th- them to give you that $10,000? Are you going to peace out before you can actually, like, figure out what's going to happen? If I have a spaceship, I'm just going to run them over. <laughs> I need to get paid my $10,000 of the sketchy things and people I killed already. It's not like a. It's not like Lando has this moral like, oh, I can't kill people or anything. We just saw him kill a bunch of random aliens on I, the other side. I scene. really think he just... I, uh, it depends on what you think his state of mind actually was, because I really don't think he would be thinking about any of that. I think he's ready to peace out. Okay. But Anyways, th- which what happened in the movie and uh, Enfys Nest, does, and this is the part that actually bothers me the most is that they they do this thing that was popular in like the nineties, mm-hmm. where there's this big like tough guy, and there's this big reveal where the tough guy takes off his helmet. And it's a girl. Yeah. It's this young, like twenty-something girl. That's not a reveal anymore. Yeah. It's not a thing. Like, there's not nothing about that was like, oh my god, she's she's a, like that was the big reveal, in, like the first Mission Impossible movie. Yep. Exactly. Where, You're hitting the exact same points I was about to talk about. <laughs> Literally, though, it's like a step back. You know, it's like, what? Why is this a well, twist? And then it doesn't even need to be like you know. I'm not even trying to talk as like like a feminist thing or like a progressive issue. It's just not clever anymore yeah. to do like a, like a reveal where it's like this big tough guy was actually just this, this small dainty, pretty girl this whole time. There was nothing like, it's funny if you set, if you do setups like that mm-hmm. where you talk about like how, you know, typically masculine things where it's like, you know, I'll crush you. Or like, you know, we were talking in the locker room the other day, like about these, this, like, the, these things, and then you do the reveal, and it's like, oh, haha, ha, the masculinity we thought we were looking at was actually just uh, perpetrated by a woman. We have such gender stereotypes, or whatever, whatever the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> but it's just so it's so lazy and stupid to do that. There was no reason for that to be a reveal. No, I completely agree. Because when I that first thing where she lifts up the helmet and stuff, I was like, all right, who is that? Is that do I know this person? And I was like, oh, it's just that she's a girl. Yeah. Oh. Is that Ron Howard's kid or something? Like no, which you could expect because like she's a redhead with like some freckles. So. Yeah, but no, it's just a different. It's just a girl. But basically, Enfys reveals to uh, Han and that whole group that they're actually not thieves and smugglers, but they're actually part of this rebellion, <laughs> and they're trying to prevent the Empire from like gaining more tools for furthering themselves in their empirical conquests of the universe, and so. Uh, Basically, they're trying to say, please don't give the coaxium to Dragon Voss. <laughs> Dryden Voss. They're saying that you shouldn't do that. Please let us have it. I know you won't get any money out of it. Well, it's more also that they're like, oh, like, did you realize this guy, Voss, he does all these bad things? Like, did you know that? Like, he cuts tongues out of people's mouths and stuff like that. 
I'm like, yeah, he, they probably knew that. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, wait, the crime boss is actually a bad guy? No fucking way. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's, anno- it's just annoying. Our character introduction to him was murdering someone. <laughs> no shit, he's not a bad, he's not a good guy. And, I mean, the thing is, like, Han and, like, them don't really talk about it like that's a reveal. That's just them. That's They're just like, yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. That tracks. Yeah. Also, clearly, Han doesn't give a fuck about this because he works with Jabba the Hutt later. Are you going to tell me Jabba hasn't done anything bad or killed people? Mm-hmm. And, and this is where this does not work for the character, and this is where... If you're going to, like, say that you hate this movie and it falls apart, this is exactly where I totally believe it. Because after this brief conversation about doing the right thing, Han wants to do the right thing and and uh, don't not give the coaxium to... Dragon Voss. Dragon Voss. <laughs> Dragon Voss. Uh, and I get it as a good guy thing, but that is not Han's character up until, until A New Hope. And yeah. I don't want to be that Star Wars guy about it, but... If you're going to establish this character as a guy who just does what's in his own best interest, I am. Uh, (laughs) If he's going to do the things that are in his own best interest, don't show this prequel movie where he uh, he has already learned this lesson. Yeah, there's a there's a part where I'll defend and I'll I'll say that maybe you could explain this away if you if you have someone explain it in words. Uh huh. Like you could say that this was his first time doing the right thing and it's because he knew that he could do the right thing that led him to do the right thing in a new hope that's the only explanation i could give for that but it just doesn't track it does not make sense for the character han and the thing is like i'll i'll talk about this more later but what what is who changes after this like does does han really like turn into this hardcore like scumbag afterwards not really no he gets ditched by his girlfriend, which we'll get... I want to get more into that later. Let's just finish the yeah, summary so. right now. So, yeah, so Han, for some reason, is swayed by this logic, or this reasoning, and says, hey, we shouldn't give the, the coaxium to Dryden Voss. Beckett's like, we should. And they're like at a stalemate. And then uh, Chewie's like, I agree with Han. <laughs> sure. He's like, <laughs> Which, yeah. It's other thing, Chewie gets really shafted in the second half of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Beckett is like, I'm going to take the coaxium to Dryden Voss. I don't know. It's Well, then Beckett, like, Sora's just like, whatever. I won't take that. I'm going to go do this job in Tatooine for this hey. other crime boss. Hey. You should join me there after you're done with this. And Han's like, okay. And so they make, like, this quote-unquote plan and go to Voss's place and, like, sneak in a gun, bring all the coaculum into the room, and they, like, have a back and forth. And so then Han, or uh, Voss is like, oh, give me some of the coaculum, Han. And Han's like, no, I really don't think that's smart. And he's like, I insist. And he reveals that someone has betrayed him in their group. And then Han's like, Kira? And he's, Voss is like, it wasn't Kira, but... And then the doors open, and Beckett walks in. And of and, course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. This None of these things that are reveals are reveals. Yeah, it's like, wait, the guy that told you in the beginning was going to portray you, portrayed you? Yeah. What a twist. Uh, especially and, after, like, they had the conversation where Beckett is clearly like, I think we should give the... The coaxium to Voss. Of course. How? Oh, my God. Uh, so, yes, that happens. And 
they have this little stalemate where Voss thinks, oh, okay, my men are about to get the Quackalium, but it was all planned ahead that they were, that Han knew that Beckett was going to betray him, so they got it ready to where Effin Sness's people are ready for Dragon Voss's people to come by. And now they really do have the Quackalium there. And so Woody Harrelson's like, oh shit, and he shoots everyone. And then Voss is like, why'd you do that? And he's like, I'm thinking, all right? And I don't like people having other guns in their hands when I'm thinking. But let's plan this out. If Beckett's actually like a decent guy and doesn't portray him, mm-hmm. they accidentally just gave them the coagulum and they're completely outnumbered. Not a great plan. Not a great plan. But, I mean, it works out, it, I guess. It works out because they're the main characters. Beckett's like, all right, Chewie, go grab the stuff and I'm going to leave yeah. these guys to fight. So then they all start to fight. Kira ends up, like, betraying Han at the last second, and she has the sword next to his neck, and Voss is like, did you see? She was always like this, and blah, blah, And then she's like, I'm sorry, Han. You just need to know your enemy's weaknesses. And, like, lifts it up, and then stabs Dragon Voss's stomach, and he dies. Yep. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing that's happened makes any sense. Even if you, th- even if you don't look beyond the obvious that, of course, she's going to, you know, do the right thing. Han Solo's alive in other movies. Of course she's not going to stab him in the neck. You've not tricked me. Kira and Han talking for a little second, being like, all right, um, I just need to, like, Kira's like, I just need to clean up here. I'll catch up to you in a minute. And then Han's like, oh, okay, that sounds like a plan, and runs off to go save Chewie. And so then, like, Kira, like, sort of gets herself together, takes this ring off of Voss's um, hand. And also, Voss is, like, really gray and dead looking for only be like actually being dead for two minutes like he looks like someone you'd see at a morgue weird thing that i think what probably happened is kira probably left went with han and then went back yeah in the original cut yeah they didn't reshoot exactly and so she like calls this one person that he answers and we just see his like lower legs and they start talking and then Kira's like, yes, Beckett killed everyone here, and uh, Voss is dead, and blah, blah, blah. We don't have the coagulum. And then this guy's like, hmm, I'm, that's not very good. You better come meet me now. But before the reveal, if people have watched Star Wars The Clone Wars, they know exactly who this person is through the voice. Ish. I would. It's okay. the same voice actor. Really? Yeah, from from the animated show. Oh, okay. So it's just fun facts. Uh, <laughs> And so it's revealed that it's Darth Maul. Ooh. Whoa. Which, if you haven't seen the TV show at all and you only know the movie continuity, this is a really cool reveal. It's However. Yeah. They really shove it down your throat. Like, this is Darth Maul, just so you all know. Because, like, he grabs his lightsaber and turns it on. He's like, Kira, we'll be very close friends. It's also kind of stupid. Like, why is Darth Maul in charge of anything? Especially now that it's not the Separatists anymore. It's the Empire. It's, uh, weird. I mean, if if you're a fan of just cool things happening for cool reasons, that's pretty cool. I mean... Honestly, this was my favorite part of the film, <laughs> but it's like, I know I'm contradicting myself in everything where it's fan service. It doesn't make sense. It's stupid. But it's okay because if it's fan service you like. Uh, yes, but in general, like, I realized it was really stupid. And if I was like, you know, actually like on the film, I would have not put that in there and just like have it be someone else. I, I don't even know. I probably just wouldn't have that there and just have, ugh, I don't know. Yeah. Now we go out to Han and yeah, Beckett. Now it's now Han, Han confronts Beckett, being like, "What's the deal, dude? 
Yeah, he's like, the fuck? They start, he starts talking about how, what, he was going to portray, what was it, this shit he talks about? Uh, I don't know, it was some, some convoluted reason for betraying him, uh, and, like, you should, you know, still never trust anyone except for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. And so, uh, as, as Beckett's talking, Han just fucking shoots him. Yep, which and- is kind of badass, like. I'm cool with it. I thought, like, damn, you caught me monologuing. <laughs> which is true, because, like, it's it's Beckett just talking and talking, and then he shoots him, which also is them going back on Han shoots first. Yep. Because yep. it was, like, it wasn't, like, a shootout, but you know that someone's got to shoot someone. Yeah. And Han doesn't even give him the chance to finish his sentence. Like, he just shoots him, which is pretty cool. It's cool, but, like, what is Han about? Like, this is completely sort of contradicts everything we just learn about him and then there's no real point for him to switch like this you know i i can again the way the only way that i can explain it uh-huh. is that before when he learned that he was uh when he decided to do the right thing give the rebels the coaxium uh and then but then he's confronted by beckett who betrayed him uh and then he comes out to talk to him again and he realizes he's not going to be able to let beckett get away without uh you know feeling consequences for it Mm -hmm. he shoots him and that kind of like reverses all the good stuff that he just did because he's like i guess i really can trust nobody and i have to just be on my own uh with chewy of course because chewy's the exception to the rule exactly not trusting anybody so that that's the that's the best way that it's not a good way but it's the best way i can explain it uh okay so he shoots beckett and he sees kira fly off in the big ship and it's like bye (laughs) bye felicia and, yeah, he's basically just like, oh, damn, she left. Oh, well. And we... Which I can't tell. Is Kira... Now, does that make Kira, like, a higher-ranking person within the Empire? They're or not in the Empire. Of, well, not in the Empire, but, like, a, you know, a smuggler who's, like... she, like, a higher-ranking, like, person? I guess. In society? <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, her working with Maul just does not make any sense. I don't know Because either. her whole thing right before Han left to go save Chewie was like, oh, you made me smile. Or, like, whenever thinking about it, like, we just smile. And I'm like, why can't you do that right now? Like, you didn't even give an explanation being like, oh, he'll hunt us down and kill us. Like, I need to be there. It's nothing. So that makes me think Kira doesn't care for Han at all. Again, the, be- the, again, the best way that I can explain it, and it's not a good explanation, but... She's been this person who's never had any kind of power in her life before, where she grew up on this shitty planet where she was just, you know, not in control, and she only was following Han's dreams of getting off the planet, Mm -hmm. and then they get separated, and she's forced into kind of like this servitude of Dryden Voss, and she's always just been by his side, but she's always the one kind of like saying, like, no, I really know what I'm doing, and she's smart. And finally, with Dryden Voss dead, she could go with Han and just be his girlfriend forever, or she could actually be in charge and be, like, the leader and, like, the the, the smart person that she's always meant to be. Mm-hmm. Which is... that's You have to read into it to get that. Yeah. That's, that's Again, that's the best explanation I can give. The movie doesn't give that much into it. It's just if you take aspects of her character and kind of string them together and put it together yourself, you, you could come to that conclusion. I, it's just such a stretch, I feel like. It's also because it's never been a plot point in the movie itself that you've never... She's never acted as if she's, like, a person who felt oppressed. Yeah. Which, uh, not to say that people who are oppressed have to show that they feel oppressed. <laughs> I feel like I have to explain that. Uh-huh. But for a movie, and you want a movie to have a theme and to have things to talk about, that would be better to have. 
Yeah. So we move on to the next scene. Where it's just, uh, they go into this, like, tropical area, and they see Lando is, like, really living the Hawaiian vibes right now. And he's like, oh, where's my cut, Han? Han. And uh, Han's just like, oh, yeah, we'll get to it. But let's play cards. And so, well, actually, like, they're pissed off about it. Then Han realizes that Lando's been cheating, Mm -hmm. grabs the little, like, card deck thing he has, and they play cards, and Han goes all in, and Lando's like, oh, you're so silly. And then he, like, tries to click it, and he realizes, like, oh, I don't have this anymore. And then Han's like, oh, it would have been great if you had this card, but I have these cards. And then Han wins, takes the money, and flies the Falcon out. And then we see directed by... Ron Howard. Not not Luke Skywalker? <laughs> Damn it, you did it. You pulled it out again. Uh, see, that's the surprise. And that's Solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah. So... We've talked a lot about our problems with it. I know, Taylor, God, guys. What, what, what do you really feel? If, you're, if you are going to encapsulate it in adjectives, how do you feel about Solo? Disappointed, bored, sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely like got into it and complained about a lot more things than I was expecting to, but I really don't think it is that. Like, taken at face value, I don't think it's that bad it's just problematic it's just very problematic and it just depends on how how much of a problem you have with the problems i again if this wasn't a star wars movie i don't think it's as bad as like i'm saying or like i wouldn't be as mad about it but the fact that it is a star wars movie the fact that it contradicts itself so often Mm -hmm. like just not with this movie but just like down the line, like, okay, if Han feels this strongly about, oh, I sh- these people shouldn't die because of this crime boss, he shouldn't be with Jabba later. Mm-hmm. If where, Where's the connection with Chewie? Like, I don't give a shit about Beckett. Yeah. So, now that we're already here, let's... Should we dive into surgery right now? Let's, yeah. let's go for it. Yeah, let's let's go into surgery. I think we've talked a lot about our problems and what we'd want to fix already. Yeah, let's we... Just, let's just go into, like, more of the, like, the nitty-gritty stuff. Yeah, no, you guys are listening to probably the longest podcast we will ever have, because <laughs> we're already an hour into this now. Nice. Yeah. Oh, my God. But, so, what's, what's the big thing you want to fix? <sighs> I want Chewie and Han to have chemistry mm-hmm. because this should be about the story about these two people coming together and like having this lifetime friendship yes and this movie is really about a heist and han solo getting dumped ish yeah the movie is about this generic heist that isn't really that much of an instigator mm-hmm. it's about han's interaction with these characters we've never met before and don't care about and we'll never see again when it, well, we it, haven't it, even heard about them before. It, sh- it should just be about Han and... Like, not just about, but focused on Han and Chewie. Like, that's their relationship, and it's about the two of them working together to pull off whatever heist they're doing or whatever thing it is, and that it probably needs to be sooner in the movie that we get introduced to Chewie. Like, that they... That's their... That almost should be the inciting incident, is not Han losing his girlfriend, but it's Han meeting Chewie and them figuring out how to escape whatever situation they're in together. Yeah, it's just like, I guess let's just talk about how do we make their first interaction better? 
do we want to do it within context of the movie we already have, or are we going for a different uh, different thing altogether? Well, okay, I guess one thing I really want to tackle is the opening scene where, or like first interaction where Beckett and Han interact together. I want Han and Beckett's team to get thrown into jail too. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's on the same cell as um, Chewie's in. That's where like Han and them are. And so then Han figures out with Chewie how to break out and then he frees Beckett and his crew. So now they're like, wow, this kid actually did something. Like he's pretty, he's growing on me now. And there it's like, okay, he did something impressive. You can be like, all right, he's on our team now because he just saved us. Like that makes more sense rather than just like, oh yeah, this Imperial guy. Who threatened us? Mm-hmm. I like him, and he's got a Wookiee now. Because then I feel like it does set up like more of a. All right, we're gonna start trying building trust. Because that's another thing that they always talk about is like how no one should trust anyone. But you know, at certain points, you need to show that you are trusting each other. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think that I think that's good. Honestly, I think I would. The opening scene should be Han being in the Imperial. Uh, army and that should actually just be the first scene. Okay. I think we can you can keep Kira as a character, but I think cutting that entire first portion where we see Han is in the Imperial uh, troops. He's, you know, thrown into jail with Chewie and that's how they meet and that's how they interact. And he sees Beckett and he's like, "Oh, I I've always, you know, I've always been good at smuggling or I've always been good at like thieving and stealing." And like, I know it's It'd be a lot of telling and not showing, mm-hmm. but it would cut down on so much of like the unnecessary bits at the beginning where we don't really care about him and Kira's relationship, and it's a chase scene that we don't really need, and we don't need to see how he gets his name solo. That is just so dumb. So that I... if, if we just go on a breakneck pace right at the beginning and just have him in, in the army, and he's like, this is never what I wanted for myself, and then you know they could do the campfire scene, and we could actually have them you know talk about their lives and stuff, and we still get the same information... But maybe we see them go on a couple heists before we do the big final heist. Would I mean, you like that because like, I I don't mind that they just immediately get into their first heist together and it's technically their last. Because I I do want if we did cut that opening scene, I'm fine with that. But we need to sort of establish Kira in a certain other way, just so we're not. It's not Han talking about this one girl being like, oh, this one girl. But I do think that could be a good thing is if he just talks about her. Uh-huh. And he talks about her, like, in this, like, such high, like, praise of, like, who she is as a person. It's like, oh, man, this is the girl that I've been trying to get back to. Like, she's so perfect and all this. And we don't see her. And then finally, when she does show up on Dryden Voss's ship, she's like, that's her. And now he doesn't know how to interact with her. Like, he's not as cool as he thought he was with her. And he's not, like, the kind of guy that uh, that that can interact with her. She's either, you know, she <laughs> she's a girl that looks like Amelia Clark. Uh, and is like, oh, no, I don't, I don't know how to interact with her. Or, or she's, like, actually not the same kind of person that he was describing, that she's, like, changed so much. Do you think that's more show and not tell, though? I think it's a combination of the two, because I, I think that if, if we have a, a lot of tell, and then our show completely, like, does a 180 on the tell that we've heard, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's an effective uh, usage of both. Because the only way we hear about most of these characters is through stories. And uh, if we're going to try and have, you know, more interaction with this, with our hopefully central duo being Han and Chewie, we would need to have more stories at like the campfire or whatever and have those expectations up, upended when we actually interact with these characters. Because I think the only telling we really have would be in that either campfire scene or like a couple scenes of them interacting and like, you know, being like, man, remember when we like 
robbed the the Tatooine First National Bank or whatever, or like the the Moon of Endor. Really, uh, we skinned those Ewoks good. <laughs> Yeah, it's something like that. Does he have, like, a picture of her that he remembers her by or something? Like, do you think we need to see her first, or should the first time we see her is that time at Voss's place? I think the first time we see her should be at Voss's place, and that's... That's and it would be through his like like noticing her and recollection and being like, Kira, is that you? And she's like, acts like a completely different person. Okay. Not you know not completely, but it's he just he gets the sense that she's different, and I feel I feel like that's that's a more effective way of having the character be because she's she is a different person after three years. Yeah. But there's not enough of a change in the performance or like the the way that she speaks that makes it feel like that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the best way to show that there's a change or like that she's different or that there's been a long time and Han actually doesn't know how to interact with her anymore is to have him tell all these great stories about the, the times they shared and how much, not like of a ladies man he was, but like, you know, how much they like bonded and how much she would love to see him again. Mm-hmm. And then she, you know, is with Dryden Voss. Okay. And that's, that's the best way that I can do it if we want to keep Kira around. Do you want to keep Kira around? I think she's a decent character. I think she's just poorly utilized. Like, do you think, because you did talk about earlier how Kira is, like, his goal at the end. Like, mm-hmm. is it better that we don't know who Kira is? Like, does she add that much to the plot, I guess? If she's not in the movie, does Han still talk about this girl from back home that he wants to get back to? Um, Cause yeah, because it's a goal. And then this way, I think we do have to keep the opening scene just more so like, oh, okay, we understand where he's coming from. And See, if we don't want to take Kira out of it, but he still tells the story, what if he tells people that he's trying to get back to this girl, but he actually just has no, no directive? He, like, has nothing to do, and he's just almost like an aim... Like, not aimless, but, like, he wants to be a pilot, but he can't be because the Imperial Army won't let him, and he's not rich enough to own his own ship. So the only way he can become a pilot is joining these thieves and smugglers. Okay. And he talks about his goal actually being this girl from back home, but he actually doesn't have one. He's just been saying that because everyone expects him to, like, you know, have something that he's fighting for or whatever, and he's just like, I'm just, you know, fighting for a purpose or something. Because this is going to get into the, you know, the minutia of Star Wars, but it feels kind of weird that he's hung up on this girl Kira when we never see her again and then he ends up with Leia. Yeah. Mm, that's true. Like, it's, it's a little, it's a little skeevy that he's, he's gonna, he's like, he, they never have a resolution. They never have like, we can't be together or we're, we're just, you know, uh, I, I have a different goal or like, you know, one of us has to kill each other to like make something happen. Yeah. Or that he realizes she's evil or something. But instead, he kind of, he never resolves that, which means he's probably still in love with her. Yeah. Like in a, in one way or another, even though we like Leia, it, that's what bothers me the most. All right. So, uh, what's the next thing you would want to fix? The next thing I would really want to talk about is Lando in general. Like, he just really isn't given a lot to do in the film. Mm-hmm. Where, okay, here's my quick idea about it. We know Han wants to be a pilot. But we've never seen him be a pilot before, right? Like, he's only talked about it. He's not really actually gotten behind the wheel. What if there was, like, this... What if there's this one scene where Lando sort of teaches Han how to be like, all right, this is how you be a pilot, because you suck at it. And, like, we have an earlier scene where Han, like, takes the wheel and he's like, I got this, Beckett! And he just, like, crashes or something. <laughs> well, he he's shown that he's a good driver. We've never seen him be, like, a specific pilot. Yeah. So is, are you talking specifically just when he's flying, like, spaceships? Yeah. And he's like, he's actually a good driver, but he's not necessarily, like, a good... 
good spaceship driver. Yeah, like he shouldn't be able to fly the Millennial Falcon like so easy, yeah. you know? No, I, I, I get that. So w- would he actually just have like no skills in the ship at all? I mean, based on what we've seen, I don't think he should. Like, maybe just like, all right, I'm going to press this. And Lando's like, no, that's the anti-gravity thing. And then, like, we fall down or yeah. something. And then he's like, all right, sorry. And Lando's like, Jesus, kid. In Empire Strikes Back, there's, like, a broiness with Lando and Han, but it's also still a competition. And I feel like there's, like, mutual respect for one, one another. Mm-hmm. And we don't get that in this film. Yeah. Like, it's definitely more like Lando's like, ha-ha, you're like that one guy that still owes me money. It's not really like a friendship. Well, well, I'm sure the implication is like if they were able to do solo sequels, that Lando would be around more. Lando would have been a more part, of a, a different fixture in his life that would have, you know, shown up for every other adventure, which that's not an excuse for what they did now. Yeah. But I do, I, I think that that was kind of the plan. No, I, I agree that Lando either needs to have a different plot or has needs to have something more to do. Because I do think actually him teaching Han how to even if even if Han is a good pilot, because I feel like it would be a little too much to ask that he isn't a good pilot and then he suddenly is a good one by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. That Lando at least teaches him how to drive the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, like I think that Lando or uh, Han could be a, a good general pilot, but the Falcons, you know, like older technology or whatever, and he like you know it's like when you have an automatic versus a stick shift. I think that if Lando had taught him like how to use the Millennium Falcon to be like, alright, if you won my ship, this is what you would have to do. And like, you know, doing cute things where it's them being competitive but also being friendly. We may have sort of touched up on this, but like what we should give Han a save the cat moment. Because again, the only reason why I care about Han right now is because of the other movies I've already seen him in. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't do really anything likable or like something where I'm like, wow, yeah, I like I really want to see your dreams come true. Like I'm rooting for you, man. Yeah, it's more just like the only thing that happens in the movie is he loses his girlfriend. Yeah, and then he gets it back pretty fast. And we've, you know, touched up on that, but what can we do just for a beginning part for him to be like, "Oh, all right, that was nice of you." It w- it would be good if he maybe did something kind of like Aladdin-esque where okay. like, you know, he he steals things. He's a, he's, you know, a thief and he's a poor guy. But, you know, what if, like, you know, when he steals from someone's car, like, he steals this car or this ship from whoever, and he's driving it back, and he finds, like, their wallet or, like, whatever in the in this, in the front seat, mm-hmm. and, you know, he sees some poor kids or whatever, and he tosses the wallet to the kids. Like, it, not specifically that, but something like that. Okay. Where it's, you still keep the action of what happens, so you're not losing any momentum, but you... You, you make sure that there's a, a thing that Han is still succeeding in finding his own best interests because Han will never sacrifice his own best interests even for, like, you know, helping out kids. But if he can help out the kids, he would. Mm-hmm. And I think that's And I think that's almost more of an indication of him being a good person than at the end of the movie when Han just completely does a 180 on his personality and decides not to uh, take the deal with, with Dryden uh, Voss. Okay. One thing I sort of know, this is like the Legends comics that Star Wars has that used to be canon, but once Disney took over, isn't canon anymore. First interaction between Han and Chewie is a lot different, where I believe it's more Han is an an Imperial lieutenant or something, Mm -hmm. and he has these... He has Chewbacca as someone that he's like... Chewbacca's his slave or whatever. And one of the lieutenants is like, give him a good whipping or whatever. And like Han's already seen how much Chewie's gone through. And he's like basically at the brink of death. 
And if Han had, like, done the lashing or whatever, he would have died. And so Han then turns on those guys, kills them, and takes Wookie, uh, Chewie to himself. Or, no, it wasn't a, a whipping. It was, like, he was supposed to execute Chewie. Because then after that, he... That's why Chewie feels like he has a life debt owed to Han. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, all right, he saved my life. Now I owe my life to help, help save him. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause especially it's a lot better than, you know, freeing him from the cage. Because that's... It's bad. Like, don't get me wrong. It's bad to keep a Wookiee imprisoned in, your, in the cage. But... He probably would have still lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chewbacca would have. Yeah, no, he definitely would and, have. And it doesn't feel like much of a life debt because Chewie did most of the work. Yeah. Oh, to yeah. To get them out of the, the cage because oh, yeah. Chewie's the strong one. It definitely is. And I know we talked about this a little just earlier, but like it really needs to be Chewie and Han's movie mm-hmm. where it's just the bromance between them. And we'll talk about this later also, but that's sort of why I felt like they got Chris Miller and Phil Lord to come in because they have done those bro moves before, like yeah. the 21 and 22 Jump Street. Like that, Those movies are all about Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. Yeah. Uh, so actually this article came out that specifically talked about what scenes Phil Lord and Chris Miller were a part of that were, that were, that were them specifically talking to Jonathan Kasdan about the, the movie. And the, the, actually one of the interesting ones is that they came up with the very first scene. They were the ones who came up with the idea for that car chase hmm. uh, and him, like, having this really cool, or really cool, quote-unquote, uh, like, action scene. Uh, they were also responsible for L3, the robot character that has the uprising. Okay. Uh, they were responsible for that scene where uh, Han and uh, Kira make out in the closet and, like, you know, where they're... Because they wanted to do a funny little callback to uh, Han and, like, Leia's first interaction in that she, he kind of, like learns a little bit of a lesson from this this woman in his life now. But it's interesting because I agree with you that I feel like Phil Lord and Chris Miller would have been perfect for the buddy comedy aspect. Mm-hmm. But the way that it sounds, they actually did... They they were very heavily inv- invested in making these new characters. I'm still fine with them making new characters, but I definitely think the story is about Chewie and Han and yeah. not Han and random girl and random guy who betrays them later yeah. that we never hear about. And then the people that we actually know, kind of like Chewie and Lando, are on the periphery. Yeah. Like, Chewie's just uh, the muscle, and Lando's just the guy who has the ship, rather than the people who should be more involved in his life. Yeah, exactly. No, like, it should be Chewie and Han as co-leads with supporting character Lando Kyler's in. That, that, that makes sense, and I, I would have loved that, especially then to have, like, a, a bromance triangle mm-hmm. where Lando comes in and, like, you know, is the guy who helps teach him some stuff to be like, all right, this is how you actually be cool. Like, wouldn't that be <laughs> interesting, though, if Han is not as cool as he, as he is in A New Hope? Yeah. And he actually, like... Is not that he's not the he's never the same as Lando, but he has that same kind of swagger where he just like walks into a room and is like, "Okay, I'll shoot you, Greedo." Mm-hmm. Like he learned that from Lando. What if what if it was more of that kind of movie? I would be interested in seeing that a little bit because yeah, then he would have learned more than just driving the Millennium Falcon from Lando. He would have learned kind of how to live this smuggler lifestyle. Yeah, and there could have more of a chemistry where, like, if Lando's the one that's sort of bringing Han into this world, he'd be like, yeah, you know, some people in this business have, like, different morals. Like, some are, like, honor among thieves, where others are, like, not. Like, all right, for myself, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. That could have been a cool dynamic, but alas, it was not. No. Uh, What else are you feeling? How do we make Han less... 
likable, like likable yeah. enough. But you know how in A New Hope he's like sort of an asshole yeah, in the no, beginning. I guess it could be sort of like what they do in Deadpool, where like Deadpool in the first one is like fighting this one bad guy and stuff, and he's like, "You leave so and so alone," and blah blah. But he's still like a dick about it. Where he like goes to the girl and is like, "Where's my money afterwards?" And she pays him, but she's like, "Really like, okay, so thank you for doing that." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, no problem. Fuck yourself." Maybe a, something similar could be good, but it would have to be in the same vein, just because for Deadpool, at least that's his job mm-hmm. is to do that. Whereas Han's job is to steal things, so it would be if he stole something for someone and actually did it for a good reason, doing what he was going to do at the end of the movie but actually getting paid for it uh-huh. in this first part where it was like, cause he doesn't, you know, specifically take a contract with the Imperial forces where it's, he gets like this job where it's like, all right, you need to, uh, you need to steal like these Kyber crystals, uh, because we're going to try and make some new lightsabers or whatever. I don't a Bad suggestion, but the same kind of idea. Uh-huh. And he does it and he gives it to, he gives it to general or not Leia, obviously, but, her father and gives it to General Organa or Senator Organa. Oh, you know, I forget what his title representative. Is. <laughs> no, I don't know, Mister Organa. Yes, there we go. He, he gives it to him, and he says, "You truly done a great thing today for for the stability and balance of the of the universe." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, where's my money?" Okay, and like so he does the right thing, but he does it for the money. Okay, so like he's doing that for the rebels. Yeah, like something like that. Because I think that also would help if he's. Not necessarily, like, a professional smuggler right off the bat, Uh but if he takes odd jobs like that uh, to make money. Okay. Do you think when the, like, rebels or whatever um, in this movie are like, don't do, don't give it to Voss, like, he'll destroy everything. What if he's more like, yeah, we can do that, but there's, like, a price tag for it. And maybe, like... He does all that, and he's like, where's my money there? This is the only as much as we could scrum up, and he's like, that's fine. At least for that, say, like, he starts as a shitty guy that's definitely like, where's my money, where's my money? And at the end, he's like, all right, that's fine. You gave me 50%. Uh, yeah, I think, that, I think that could be something that keeps him in line with what he was supposed to do. I, I mean, they actually could make a joke out of that, too. Like, not a joke, but uh, a funny moment where he's like, all right, Ms. Nest, I got you your, I got you your stuff. Where's my money? And then they're like... We actually didn't have we didn't have the money for for you. We we lied about that, but he, this is the most we could we could get together. And he looks at it and he just says, "Okay, you guys keep it. It's fine." And then he turns it back around. And is like, "At least give me twenty units." Yeah. And then he just takes like a little <laughs> bit. Like, can, can I just have some gas money? Yeah. And okay. Like, something like like it's funny. It's but it's also real at the same time. Yeah. So okay, I like that. Maybe he takes half. He's like yeah, he's, he's like oh it's all right. And it's like wow our characters change. And then he turns around. And he's like actually I'll, I'll take. I, like, ca- I kind of need a little bit to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I like that a lot. Actually, also, that also is kind of like a Lord Miller joke. At least I feel in some ways doing finding a way to combine the humor and the the actual character mm-hmm. in a moment like that would be uh, honestly a pretty easy way of of skirting around something like that and making it making it real okay I like that those are just some specific suggestions obviously they should do more stuff like that throughout the movie to right. show that he's still not a good guy but also not you know a monster okay no I I, I enjoyed that joke a lot I good, think good. that was good oh, do you think we could submit that one and then Lord Miller let me write for their next thing definitely do as awesome. long as they don't get fired from it Lego movie 3 here I come <laughs> so I know we talked about Beckett a little bit and you know his character arc and stuff 
Uh, a little different angle of it, though. We know how our our main gal, Tammy Newton, dies in it, also known as Val. But what if she doesn't die mm-hmm. and Beckett dies in that little thing? Oh, so, like, the actual, like, mastermind is the one who dies, and then she's, like, kind of the one left behind Yeah, to pick it up. I think that could be interesting. And I feel like that would, if she does end up betraying them, that makes more sense because she's so conflicted and because she, like, doesn't really have a side to be on anyways. Yeah. That she's like, I never wanted to be part of this life or whatever. Or she's like, we, we promised each other we'd be done with this. Something like that. Well, I could also see it where people always gave Beckett the respect and she never got it, where she was always like, I was the actual brain for everything and people yeah. always thought it was Beckett and now this is my time to shine where I'm like, you know, she can go a little more gangster and be a little more smart and sort of be like Maeve from Westworld where she's like manipulative and smart, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that she would, she's also could be more of a foil that Beckett's whole thing was like, don't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. And he still could have said that before he died and then she's like, no, it's okay. Like, you can trust me. Like, we'll figure this out. And then, obviously, she, at some point, you discover that she's actually been working for herself this whole time. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's actually a pretty good idea. She still fulfills kind of the Beckett role throughout the movie. Like, does most of the same stuff, but does it almost with, quote-unquote, different intentions. Yeah, because now, instead of, like, being the man honcho or whatever, it's more like... It's, she's more unassuming. Mm-hmm. Like, she wasn't at the beginning like, hey, Solo, don't trust anyone because... They'll portray you. That's what I would do. And then she's not playing chess, being like, hey, Chewie, always got to think about your person, the uh, person you're going against. She's more, like, chill. She's more behind the scenes. And if everything still plays out similarly, she didn't want him to join them in the first place. So they could easily have, like, a fight. Then she becomes more low-key, and, like, you really would forget about the fact that she didn't want him there in the first place. And then when she, again, betrays him, it's like, it's, it's a bit of a surprise. And also, like, I feel like, you know, Tammy Newton was only there for so long, but it looked like she cared a bit more than Woody Harrelson. Because mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. That one point where Woody Harrelson's like, damn, never going to hear the end of this one. It just sounds like he's done it 50 times and he's yeah. exhausted and he's like, I'm so done with this. He, it would also be cool if they kept the same actors. It, it was still Tammy Newton and then Woody Harrelson was also the same character as Oh, Beckett. yeah. That's just a production thing that I think would be fun that people are expecting Woody Harrelson to be part of the movie more mm-hmm. and then it just ends up nope he's out and we got Tammy Newton yeah and you know, you know nothing against Tammy Newton but she's probably a little cheaper than Woody Harrelson I mean that's just more for the for the fact that Woody Harrelson's been in a lot more famous things yeah but I agree I think it would be a lot interesting where oh, okay we have this big star hyping him up and then it's like oh he died and it's like oh shit didn't see that coming yeah unlike when he portrayed han like he said he was going to do in the meeting that was going to come anyway okay yeah i like that a lot is there anything else you really want to talk about nothing specific we talked a lot about it in the summary the kind of the stuff that bothered me that would be if if the movie was kept the same how i'd want to change it in that version Mm -hmm. uh and then you covered basically everything that i'd want to change as an overall big picture yeah yeah, no, I I agree. I think we can... S- I think I think, to, I think what I want to do just now to encapsulate everything is just call out how it's most movies mostly just disappointing. Yeah. That it's, it's really all these fixes are not necessarily for... And I don't want to, like, shit on too much, like, the work that was done because it really... It, it's, they did so much for this movie and they really wanted it to be good. And I do not want to, like, da- like put that down it just is 
it's just an unfortunate level of hype and an unfortunate level of like reverence to have. Yeah. It can only it can only be disappointing if you don't do it right. No, like I mean the production design, it, it still feels like a Star Wars movie from the outside. Like it's like, oh look, this is blah blah blah. Like it's not definitely not like a step back any of those directions, yeah. but I would say story wise, character wise it does take a backseat, and I don't yeah. want to trash on the hard because there was hard work in this, you know. Yeah, and I would put it, I would put the craft up there uh, like a lot because really, the, you are right. The production design is really good, like especially with Corellia and the train, and like seeing the like the fancy stuff in uh, Dryden Boss's ship. And I mean, a lot of people had pro- problems with the cinematography, like with the lighting, because some of it was a little too dark, and a little bit was like a little too tinted blue. But overall, it was too, it was really well shot, like in like. Really well put together, and I don't. I think, again, given better characters and better a better situation, all those things would have been put together in a in a much better way. Yeah, it it really does boil down to to story and to character. And would would you put that blame at all? Which blames a harsh word, but would you put that blame on the screenwriters at all, or is there somewhere else you direct that? I mean, unfortunately, yeah. I I just really the main stuff I have problems with are things that just aren't thought out. Mm-hmm. Like again. Han being like, oh, I need to save these rebels and make sure that they don't, that this guy, Dragon Voss, doesn't do any more bad things, even though I knew he was a crime boss. And yeah. I, now I have this moral stance against crime bosses. But then it's like, oh, yo, Jabba, what are you doing? And No, it, it felt, it felt, I don't say rushed, but it did feel like a little bit Rogue One made money. And so they're like, oh, we should do more of these Star Wars stories. Well, they even, I think they were already in production when Rogue One and everything was going on. To me, it's more like, and this isn't the screenwriter's fault. It's more of the like state of the Star Wars universe right now. No one wanted this movie. And that's not really a hot take or anything, but if you go online, people are more excited for a supposed like Obi-Wan prequel than they ever were with a Han Solo prequel. Well, because the cool thing about Han Solo is just he was who he was. No one was curious about what his early smuggling days were like. No one was really that curious about it. Like The people who were curious were satiated with the novels and the comic books that gave you some back information, but you didn't need, like, a whole movie for it. Yeah. The, the thing that makes Obi-Wan the reason that people want to see it is because there's a whole, like, 20-year gap where you don't see anything. Mm-hmm. And there's real things that you would want to check out and to figure out what what his life was like on Tatooine while he was watching over Luke. Yeah, what was he doing? Like, did he go and save other Jedi? And yeah. Like, that. I agree. That stuff is a lot more interesting. And Solo wasn't. Like, Solo doesn't... The Han Solo story is just pretty boring. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, give credit a little bit to Rogue One. Like, I think as much as people are annoyed where it's like, well, they just made a movie out of the opening crawl of A New Hope. Well, yeah, but there were a lot of people that did want to know how the Death Star plans did end up, like, specifically. But I really don't think anybody was very much asking, like, how did Han Solo get his blaster? How did Han Solo get those dice that were running around? And, and I think the only thing people would want to know is how, would, how did Han Solo and Chewbacca meet? And it's a three-minute scene. Yeah, it's just... I agree. It's yeah. underwhelming, not thought out, and I I do... I don't blame the writers as much for that. I think the people behind the scenes who are making the decisions to make this movie are really at fault. Well, do you want to go there? Do you want to talk about the uh, when the screenwriter came to your class? Because we were talking about the writers. It would be interesting to go there. Yeah, I guess that does go through... Yeah, let's, let's talk about the writers. 
Uh, Jonathan Kasdan did come into my uh, class one time, and it was a few weeks before Force Awakens had came out, and we all knew that he was going to be writing this movie. And he definitely was like, oh, yeah, like, we're very excited. My dad's, like, honestly one of the few people that, like, wasn't associated with the prequels and got sort of, you know, an easier time for that. And he's like, yeah, writing this movie's been, like, a little difficult and stuff, but that's just, like, you know, all big-budgeted movies. And this Phil Lord and uh, Chris Miller were still on. Phil Lord and Chris Miller. And they seemed, like he said, they were very fine. They're very funny guys and everything. And then people started asking about Force Awakens and stuff. And he was like, yeah, I can't say too much, but, you know, it's going it's, it's to be good. And they're like, well, what do you think about the state of Star Wars and, like, what's going to happen later on? He's like, mm, I can guarantee you at least one good Star Wars movie. And that's going to lead to what I'm saying now is the main woman behind Star Wars right now is Kathleen Kennedy. I do not think Kathleen Kennedy is a good producer of where she is right now because the producer status she's in right now is the same as Kevin Feige for Marvel, Mm -hmm. where she's not just like, all right, here are the numbers. Here's the things. No, we can't do that because it'll be too expensive. She's like helping out with story and being like, all right, we're setting this up and this will eventually like she's at the whiteboard Mm -hmm. making all these decisions or that's what Kevin Feige does. From what I understand, Kathleen Kennedy doesn't do that. Well, she doesn't do that well She when she's she's in the room trying to make these things happen. And again, similar to what we were talking about earlier, we're not trying to put her down as a producer, the person who makes the movies happen, because she's she's been part of like the, some of the most successful things, like E.T., and the, I think she's been part of the Indiana Jones series, a lot mm-hmm. of the Steven Spielberg stuff, and George Lucas's things. However... In the position she's in right now, I do not think she's very good. Mm-hmm. She's a good producer-producer. She's yes. not like a good universe producer, you yeah. know? If, if she is in the same role as Kevin Feige is right now, where he's in charge of the Marvel Universe and she's in charge of the Star Wars Universe, she, if she's in charge of these stories, she's not the person that should that we feel should be at the helm of that. Well, if we just, from what I've heard from people, and honestly the writer sort of, I felt like, confirmed this, she doesn't plan it out. Mm-hmm. She, like, will listen to someone's pitch and be like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do that. And then they film, do the movie and stuff. And now, you know, after J.J. did it, now Ryan Johnson comes in. And she's like, oh, all right, R- Kathleen, I want to do this and that. And blah, blah, blah. I want to kill Snoke. I want, you know, F it. Ray doesn't have any parents. And she's like, wow, okay, that sounds great. Let's do it. And then they do it. And now they're like, all right, so episode three, what are we doing for this one? And it's like, wait, but you just completely took out everything Mm -hmm. that we wanted to know in Last Jedi. And if we look at the directors she's hired, she's fired a ton of them. For Solo, Phil Lord and Chris Miller got fired. Colin Trevorrow got fired for episode nine. got fired from nine before they even started writing. Well, they wrote part of the script. Yeah. And then Gareth Edwards, the director of Rogue One, pretty much got fired, but then played ball more than the other guys did. Yeah, I mean, he got the credit because he technically directed enough of the movie Mm -hmm. that he got the the DGA credit for it. Because in reshoots, they replaced him with Tony Gilroy, who wrote a bunch of the script. Yeah. And their concession to Tony Gilroy was to give him a screenplay credit. Yeah. So I'm going to count that as basically, even if we're not saying Gareth Edwards got fired, there was still a major ton of reshoots to the point where he almost didn't get the credit. Yeah, where he was not part of the, the a good chunk of filming. And, all right, now let's talk about 
the Boba Fett movie. She hired Josh Trank to do that movie. Mm-hmm. And if you guys who don't know, Josh Trank is the one that I sort of just earlier talked about. He was the one that directed Fantastic Four stick. The, the one where the four is the A, the fan four stick. Yeah. And that one, him on set was mm-hmm. the biggest shit show on all all time that I've understood through you know directing and if stuff like that. If you've ever heard any like behind the scenes stories about Fantastic Four or like you know directors going crazy or like just the whole production just falling apart, Josh Trank and at Fantastic Four is in like the top like five stories of all time, stretching back to the beginning of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's at least as far as people know in public knowledge, like. It's, it sounded crazy, and she hired him to be Boba Fett and got immediately fired after Fantastic Four. Well, it was just more of a, man, let's reevaluate this after they heard all the stories from mm-hmm. Fantastic Four. I mean, good job on not going with that movie with him, but still, you put yourself in that situation. Well, especially because they announced it. Like they, it's, it's the problem mostly with just the announcing of who is going to be in charge of things and mm-hmm. like attaching names to things and saying, all right, this person's already developed a story for us. Which is, it's just not not a good thing to do if you don't have some sense of security. Yeah. Which Phil Lord and Chris Miller is an unfortunate thing because they filmed most of that movie. Yeah. And then got fired, which is a thing you can't avoid. But if you just don't say, hey, Colin Trevorrow is directing episode nine, and then the Book of Henry comes out, and then you say, ooh, he's not going to direct nine. Like, you, you know why this is happening. Yeah, but again, if we're looking at Marvel, that's never happened. Like, they put their stamp on their directors, and they just aren't, you know, exactly what they wanted from their movies. Well, and even when they, the directors aren't doing a good job, they, like, at least keep it under wraps or tell a different story. Like, during... I don't know if I've ever said it on the podcast. I've said this a lot, but Thor the Dark World, there were a few scenes that weren't working with the director, uh, Alan Taylor, and he, because he's mostly in for TV, but he did Thor The Dark World and Terminator Genesis. Hmm. Some so not great films, but he basically, things weren't working out, so they flew Joss Whedon in on a helicopter. And he just, like, came in for, like, a couple hours, like, rewrote, like, three key scenes and said, all right, this is how you're going to do this, how this is all, everything should work out. And then just takes off in his helicopter, and Alan Taylor's like, all right, I'm going to do that. Okay. And they, so even when there is, like, a director issue or, like, a story issue, there's a, there's a way of getting around that without making a big deal over your director overhaul mm-hmm. or like you know over, or like a writer overhaul that kind of thing and the thing is like what I was most excited for this movie was I was ready for the Guardians of the Galaxy for Star Wars. You know, mm-hmm. this in theory should be the fun, quippy movie where like you got a fun lead who's very similar to you know not as dorky as Star Lord, but still like snarky and like mm-hmm. you know got some personality. And all the people around him are like that too. Chewbacca is Groot. Yeah, you know, Lando, mm, Drac. No, not well, Drax. But. Lando, Lando's the, the womanizer aspect of Peter Quill. I feel like Peter Quill is split up into two, mm-hmm. and you've got, you've got your Han and you've got your Lando. But still, you, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Like, yeah. And if it was Phil Lord and Chris Miller, and it was crazy, people might not have even thought it was canon. If it really did go crazy, they could have just had fun with it and just like done anything. Uh, but the thing is, like, from what I understand, Kathleen Kennedy saw what the movie was becoming and thought it was too funny, like, and not serious enough, and that's why she fired them. Because yeah. also, from what I understand, Olden Eric was Olden a, Eric. was not the best at improv or anything. Yeah, which I could see that. It just it's it's one of those things where you just have a tone, and then you 
completely abandon it, which mm-hmm. I guess we never talked about tone of the movie, but it definitely felt like a film of two tones. Okay, well, uh, expand on that. That I, It felt like they were trying to do the fun heist movie, and then there were a few of these moments of, like, ridiculous comedy, especially that first part where uh, he's holding the grenade by his side, or the grenade, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. and he just makes a clicking noise, and the woman, and, like, the, the, <laughs> the worm monster's just like, you're just holding a rock, and you made a clicking noise with your mouth. That's, like, straight out of a Lord Miller or, like, a Will Ferrell comedy rather than, like, a Star Wars movie. It's, it's, it's one of the... It's just a thing where there were a few of those jokes and they were like, oh, these are good and these are funny. This will relieve some of the tension. And they don't really, like... It, it, it's, it's fine. It, it, goes to, it goes well enough together for me, but I do see that it's completely, like... They're, they're different things altogether. I would say this tone, if I had to describe it, is just boring. Because mm-hmm. no one's having fun. And but it's supposed to be fun. They're like, they're showing you these things to be like, look, isn't this fun? Isn't this fun? But it doesn't feel like fun. No, it's definitely not. Like, I understand that these solo movies are not, you know, the trilogy. Mm-hmm. And honestly, exactly. That's where you're supposed to have fun. These aren't the biggest things in the world. Yeah, these are the side movies that, like, if you want to count them as part of Star Wars, then you can, and if you don't, you don't have to. Yeah, it's like the Ewok movies, you know? You can watch them if you want, but no one's really going to take that super seriously. No, it's it's whatever you want it to be. Yeah, so that's that. <sighs> okay, guys, we're going to give you a bonus episode this week, so come back and see us on Wednesday, where we will discuss our power rankings of the Star Wars films and Star Wars month in general. If you want our newest content, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, give us five stars on iTunes if you have the chance. It goes a long way for us. And thank you so much for listening to us. We will be back Wednesday. We hope to see you soon. Adios.